Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes that we're calling Classic Risk Singles. Each of these episodes features just one story from our earlier years. If you're new to Risk, you should know that the podcast can be very uncensored. This week, a story that first appeared on the podcast in April of 2013. It's a story by the wonderful Jean LeBec, and it's called America for Us. Every evening, my sister, brother, and I would wait on the stoop of our apartment building for my dad to come home from work. My dad was about five foot eight. He had uh, black curly hair, a big, beautiful, infectious smile, twinkly blue eyes, and he would kind of look and search for us as he was walking up the block. Mary, Johnny, and I would go charging down to be scooped up into his arms, Johnny on one hip, me on the other hip, my sister on his shoulders, searching for raspberry chocolate candies, which he always hid, wanting us to find them. My mother was about five foot eight. She had brown hair, she had big bosoms, long legs, and was always, always on a diet. And every evening, they would have a half an avocado with Italian dressing in the middle and gin and tonics. And that was their hour. We were left on our own outside. We could fight. We could scream. We could do anything we wanted. But we were never able to interrupt them. My father hated Frank Sinatra. And my mother loved Frank Sinatra. And in those years, this was their major argument. It was 1953. We were the only Jewish family living in a white, Irish, hardworking Catholic 
neighborhood. And I never really knew the difference. Uh, I had a best friend, Kathleen Halligan, and she went to St. Teresa's. She was in kindergarten. I went to PS9, a public school, and I was also in kindergarten. We always used to play together until one day. She came running home from school, straight to me, crying. She said, you killed Jesus Christ. You did. You killed Jesus Christ. I was horrified. I didn't even know the man. I was crying. I didn't kill Jesus Christ. I didn't kill Jesus Christ. I went running inside to my mother, and I said, Mom, Kathleen said I killed Jesus Christ. She looked at me. And she said, you turn around now. You go straight out there. You tell her you didn't kill Mr. Christ. You didn't even know the man. So I went out. I knocked on Kathleen Halligan's door. And Mrs. Halligan answered. And I said, I didn't know Mr. Christ. And I didn't kill him. And that seemed to solve it. (laughs) Every Friday evening... (laughs) Their friends came over, and it was the same group of friends every Friday night. They were so close to my family that we were calling them aunts and uncles. We had Uncle Irving, and we had, um, we had Uncle Joe. Uh, we had Aunt B. We really did have an Aunt B. But, um, and we would have, uh, my mother would work all day making pineapple upside-down cake with maraschino cherries and deviled eggs. And uh, we loved those deviled eggs. And we would wait till they were drinking a lot and uh, dancing around, listening to music, until we would sneak into the kitchen and eat all the maraschino cherries off the cake and grab as many deviled eggs as we could. Saturday mornings, my parents loved going into the city. And when we went into the city, our first stop was always to Aunt Ethel and Uncle Jules. They lived on the Lower East Side and very close to uh, the Henry Street Settlement House. And we would walk over because on Saturday mornings, Aunt Ethel would sing and play the piano. And I just loved when she would put different colored scarves on my wrists and on my ankles. And I would just dance around. I was a butterfly. I was the wind. I was uh, everything. And she just encouraged it. And we, we, those mornings were, were always a lot of fun. In 1953, uh, towards the middle, things began to change. And Friday evenings became hush times. We would listen through a swinging kitchen door, and there were no, there was no more music, and and there was no more uh, dancing. And my mother didn't even make the pineapple upside down cake, and there were no deviled eggs. And it was writing. They would write letters, and they would uh, make phone calls, and there were hushed whispers about uh, Jules, my uncle Jules, the one I used to visit Saturday mornings, and Aunt Ethel, and we weren't visiting them, and. Everything was very secret, and at night, Miss Duffy upstairs would come and watch us while my parents just snuck out doing something. I never knew really what they were doing. It was during that time also that we stayed with my Uncle Irving, who uh, never had kids, and we loved the week with Uncle Irving because we ate strawberry shortcake day in and day out, and he would say, your parents are in Washington, your parents are in Washington. We had no idea what my parents were in Washington. My sister said it was because they were visiting the president, that they were important, and the president wanted to see them. 
soon after that Washington trip, it was a Saturday morning and uh, my father was vacuuming and my mother was taking a nap and Mary, Johnny and I were torturing each other by jumping on the bed. Well, the doorbell rang and the doorbell kept ringing loud and Mary looked to see if my father was going to answer it, but she opened it up and there were two men dressed there, very dressed up. They were holding uh, a briefcase and they were wearing suits and they looked at Mary and said, little girl, where are your parents? Is your mom and dad here? And Mary said, dad, and my father came running down the hallway, smacking us with one hand against the side of the hall and trying to push these two men out. And they were saying, we are the FBI, sir. We are the FBI, sir. And he said, you are murderers. Get the hell out of my house. And we were against the wall and they were being pushed out and the door was being closed on them. And he slammed the door and he turned to us and said, you are never ever to open the door to answer questions for the FBI. And he didn't look like my dad. And I think about it now. And in that moment, in that moment, I knew for the first time that we were different, that we weren't on the right side. We weren't on the side of the FBI. We were on the other side. What was the other side? In 1953, Jules and Ethel Rosenberg were executed as Russian spies. They were the only American citizens to be arrested and executed uh, in the United States. Years later, uh, my brother, sister, and I have tried to make sense out of a puzzle that we lived with. Outside, I always thought we were a normal family, but we weren't. And I had to make peace with, are we bad? My sister, oh, being older, uh, began to really put the pieces together before uh, I did and before my brother did. And in our conversations, I began to learn that for my parents, being members of the Communist Party was about working class people, about putting unions in place and the rights of people in place, about gay rights, about uh, black rights, about being able to be an interracial couple, about being able to say what you want, about not having your books burnt because they expressed other ideologies. It was about America that they believed in and not one that they were living in. For my father, it was a difficult time, the years following the execution of the Rosenbergs, because he began to understand that Stalin was doing horrible atrocities, and it really, he couldn't come to grips with it, and he, in finding that out, left the party immediately. And my mother couldn't face it. It was really difficult for her to give up the ideology of this utopian world, and it caused tremendous grief between them. So 
my family after the Rosenbergs was one where we lived in confusion and we lived in a up and down sense of what life was all about. Many years later, my sister called me up and she said, hey, Jean, guess what we're called? I said, what? And she said, we're called red diaper babies. I just met a whole bunch of us. I said, you did? She said, yeah. She said, there are so many, so many, so many families. Remember all those picnics we went on? They went on them too. Remember World Fellowship? They were there too. And as we were having this conversation, I think it was the first time my sister and I were able to even laugh at the whole notion of what our childhood was. And I think about my parents, how young they were. I think about that they were in their 30s, that they were struggling and fighting for what they thought was fair and right and just and ideal. And it wasn't that they wanted to have us become Russia. It was that they wanted the ideals of America to truly be in place and to be in place for us, us. And I fell in love with them. Uh, I think I had lost my footing with them in that moment when he slammed the door. Uh, But I understand them now. And I can see that they just wanted to embrace what all of us here today want to embrace, the ideals of being an American citizen. That's all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.